Good morning on this beautiful Lord's Day. We are very honored to welcome each of you to our services today. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we're especially uh, thankful to have several in our assembly this morning who are our honored guests. Thank you for being here. And I hope that uh, we'll treat you in a way today that you'll want to come back and worship with us anytime you have an opportunity. Of course, uh, Derek and Danielle and Milan and Fenner and Silas are still with us. I think they're going back Friday, from what I understand. And Derek's parents are here this morning as well. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to say hello to them as of yet, you might want to do so. We appreciate uh, their sacrifice, the good work they're doing in Peru. And uh, we certainly continue to pray for them and wish them well in their travels. Also, uh, Farrell and Orime Falk will be married, I believe, 61 years uh, this coming Thursday. Uh, that's quite an achievement, and we congratulate them. Now, we kind of overlooked Wayne and Jean Hatcher. They were married 59 years in July. I never mentioned that from the front, at least I don't recall, but I'm finding lately that I don't recall a lot of things that I've done either. But uh, anyhow, congratulations to both of these fine couples and uh, certainly these individuals as well as others uh, serve as a wonderful example for us to follow and uh, we appreciate them very much. In each of our foyers today, you're going to find a copy of the most recent edition of the Spiritual Sword. Uh, to me, this is one of the best. It's a quarterly uh, magazine uh, edited by Brother Alan Hires, who's been our speaker before. Uh, each issue deals with a very timely subject. I personally benefit uh, from this uh, every three months when it comes. I anticipate it's coming. This particular issue is one that I wish every member of the church here would take the time to read. doesn't take long. Uh, each magazine is only about uh, 43 or 44 pages long. But this particular issue... The theme is a handy guide to the instrumental music issue. Uh, parents, you need to make sure your young people read this. Uh, as a matter of fact, make them read this before they do their homework at night. That's how important it is. Uh, this is excellent material. Uh, certainly it's sad that we have to continue to rehearse these things again and again, but this is an issue that's facing the church today uh, once again. Uh, I'm halfway through it right now, and uh, the particular article on silence of the scriptures uh, by Brother David Farr is an outstanding uh, article, uh, material on the silence of the scriptures, one that you really need to take note of. So please pick these up as you leave in the foyers. If we run out, we'll try to get some more, but... Uh, this will be out of a print very quickly, I'm sure. So pick these up, pass them along to somebody else, keep them for a, a reference tool for your future use. But let's make good use of these. But I encourage each one of you to please take the time and read that material. This morning for the next few minutes, I want to focus our attention 
on Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, what we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. Of course, we know that perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. Those wonderful words our Lord preached uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So many wonderful lessons that we can learn from this part of God's Word. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Matthew chapter 7, and we looked at some lessons that can help us in our everyday lives. But today, I want to focus our attention for the next few minutes on the Beatitudes. Now, the word Beatitudes simply comes from the word blessed. And it just simply refers to the eight times in these particular verses that one that is a particular group, is identified as being blessed. Now, we need to understand here, when the Bible says blessed or happy, that refers to literally being happy. But it's not the kind of happiness that we normally think about in our world today. That popular song a few years ago, Don't Worry, You Know, Be Happy. This is not really that kind of happiness. This is the kind of happiness that comes from the inside. It doesn't have anything to do with outward circumstances. It simply refers to a fortunate state as identified by Jesus Christ. It's a fortunate state that is ours because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And as I said, this happiness can be achieved regardless of what's going on round about us. I think that's one reason why the Apostle Paul uh, told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when we lose a loved one, we don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. Certainly we grieve when we lose a loved one. It hurts deeply. But yet we can still remain Happy in the sense that we realize our fortunate state in Christ Jesus. Or you think about problems that come our way. Maybe it's a financial reverse. Maybe it's some kind of sickness or illness. Or perhaps we're overwhelmed with the responsibilities of work and school or whatever the case may be. But you see, our happiness is not determined by what's going on around us. It's determined by who we are and what we are on the inside. And therefore, we can always, as Christians, be truly happy. And so for the next few minutes, let's talk about these individuals, these groups of people, which we need to strive to be today as Christians. Let's talk about these groups who are said to be blessed or happy. First of all, the text says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we need to understand that this is not referring to despondency. It's not referring to the cowardly. Rather, this is talking about those that are truly humble. You know, you think about those cowardly spies in Numbers chapter 13, how they came back and they gave a negative report. 
They said, we're not able to take the land. We're not able to overcome this great people. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. You see, that's not who the Lord's talking about here. They were cowardly. They didn't have faith and trust in God. Unlike Joshua and Caleb said, let us go up at once and possess it. They were humble in their approach. They realized with the help of God, they could accomplish anything that God would have them accomplish. Or you think about the one talent man. This is certainly not like this particular individual who said, I was afraid and I went and hid my talent in the ground. That is not one who is poor in spirit. Instead, that's one who manifests a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. Rather, this is an attitude of humility, just like Jesus described in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 2. The Bible says Jesus called a little child to him. He set him in the midst of him and said, Assuredly, I say unto you that unless you are converted... And become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, therefore, and therefore is therefore reason. He said, therefore, whosoever humbles himself as this little child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. An attitude of humility. An attitude of recognizing the greatness of God and our dependence upon him. Not only for our physical lives, but for our salvation spiritually. Without God, we would be nothing. We could have nothing. We could do nothing. We are totally dependent upon him. And therefore, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this verse is not saying that everyone who mourns is going to be comforted. Because certainly not all mourning will lead to comfort. You think about Ahab back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 21. He mourned, he wept because Naboth would not sell to him that vineyard, that family heritage. Or you think about Judas who also mourned. He wept because he sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. But Judas went out and hung himself. You know, Peter basically did the same thing. He forsook the Lord. He denied the Lord three different times. He too, the Bible says, wept bitterly. But unlike Judas who went out and hung himself, Peter repented. He came back to the Lord. He continued to be faithful in service to God. His mourning led him to repentance. It led him to a state of being comforted. Here we're talking about an individual that exhibits a godly sorrow. Now what is godly sorrow? 
Well, we can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. And there the apostle Paul said, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in or after a godly sort or manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so there's a godly sorrow. There is a worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow will lead one to repent. It will lead one to make his life right with God. Whereas a worldly sorrow will not have that kind of impact. You see, it's possible for one to be sorry, for one to mourn, and yet not be comforted. Some are sorry because they got caught. Some are sorry because through their sin, their pride's been hurt. Some are sorry because of the penalty that they're not going to have to pay because of their wrongdoing, but they're not genuinely sorry for the mistakes they made. Instead, godly sorrow is the idea that we are hurt. We are upset because we've offended God. We recognize that we've transgressed God's law and that we've sinned against our creator. That's the kind of sorrow that will lead to repentance. And that's the kind of sorrow we need to manifest for our sins. And then the Lord said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now again, meekness is not to be thought of as being the same as cowardice or weakness. It's not being weak and fearful. The definition of meekness is the opposite of self-awareness. It's not to be occupied with self. Instead, as Philippians 2 and verse 3 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That is meekness. You know, Moses is said to have been the meekest man in all the earth. But you know, I I think about Moses as being the greatest leader perhaps the world has ever seen. Very decisive. How can a person lead that multitude of people and yet still be said to be the meekest man in all the earth? Well, meekness does not mean weakness. Instead, meekness means that, you know, we're willing to even take wrong and take it patiently. You know, Moses suffered a lot with those people. He endured a lot. I don't know how he dealt with everything he had to deal with, but Moses was meek. In fact, the Bible talks about meekness in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19 beginning. Notice Peter says, for this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable 
before the Lord. That's meekness. You know, if somebody does something and they deserve just punishment and they take it, you know, they're just getting what they deserve. But you see, it's the one who suffers for righteousness. It's the one that suffers for doing good and yet he takes it patiently, knowing he's doing nothing wrong. That's the attitude of meekness. You know, meekness is gentleness. Gentleness in dealing with other people. I think about Paul's attitude toward uh, gentleness and how he used that in his approach to people. Paul said, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Shall I come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness? Remember Paul said one time that we were gentle among you? How Paul just as a mother cherishes her own children. Meekness. That's how Paul approached the people that he worked with. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks a reason for the hope that's in you. In meekness and in fear. An attitude of meekness. The meek, unlike what the world may think, the meek shall inherit the earth. And then the Bible talks about those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That they are going to be filled. Now we know as a newborn babe in Christ that we are desire, we are to desire the sincere milk of the word that we might grow by it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. You know, that baby, that newborn baby especially, cries when it's hungry. Cries for nourishment. They desire that milk. And a newborn babe in Christ also needs to desire the milk of God's word that he might grow. And as we grow and as we mature, we know that milk is not enough. But instead, the Bible says in Hebrews 5 and verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of a full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And we need to realize today that we are filled in Christ Jesus. As the Bible says over in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 32, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say unto you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And of course, the apostle said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. See, that's hungering. That's thirsting after righteousness. It's an intense desire, as the Apostle Paul had, to know God, to know Christ, to know what God is and what his will is for our lives. And we need to have that craving. Socrates, on one occasion, was asked by an individual how he could 
become as knowledgeable as Socrates. And Socrates took this man down to a body of water and he plunged this man's head beneath the water. He held him under the water and the man struggled to breathe. And finally Socrates let him up. And Socrates says, when you want knowledge as much as you wanted that air, you can be a wise man like me. We have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I hope you're noticing today that all these characteristics are those things that we need to make a part of our lives each day. These are the characteristics of children of God. These are characteristics that will allow us to let our light shine and bring glory and honor to God by how we live each day. Blessed are the merciful, an outward manifestation of pity, sympathy, or compassion. And of course, when we are merciful, truly merciful, we're imitating God who said in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Where would we be without the mercy of God today? You know, we were without hope in this world. We were without God in this world. But God was merciful toward us. And while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. And if we are merciful to others, then we will obtain the mercy of God. If we are unmerciful toward others, then we will forfeit the mercy that God extends to us. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Folks, we need to be merciful to other people. And those who are merciful will obtain mercy. We want God's mercy in our lives. We must extend mercy to other people. And then Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We look at our world today and we know that the things we see round about us is anything but pure. You know, the Bible says that pureness of heart is essential if we want to be right with our God. Men have always desired to see God. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. John 14 and verse 8. Someone has said, if you control the heart, you control the man. The Bible says in Acts 15 and verse 8, So God, who knows the heart, made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. A pure heart. If we can allow our hearts to be controlled by God, if our thinking can be in control of God, if we can think like God thinks and do what God would have us to do, then the man himself, our actions, our attitudes, will also 
be in the control of God. You know, the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, trying to serve God and yet trying to be like those around us in the world, James says, is being double-minded. It leads to a state of being unstable. We're unable to think correctly in that we want to do what God says and make sure that we're living the kind of lives that are pleasing to him because we're trying to serve both sides. The Bible says, therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There again, we find the attitude of purity, cleansing our hearts, doing what God would have us to do, living a life of purity in the sight of God. The Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Is it any wonder then that David prayed, you know, create within me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And yet think about all the things around us today that we have to battle that would certainly deter us from having an impure heart. We think about what we see on television. We think about the magazines and materials such as that that's available today. What we see on television. You think about the internet, which can be a, a great tool to use, but it's also one of the greatest tools that Satan uses as well. As now people can surf the net in the privacy of their own home with little thought of other people seeing what they're doing. And today, internet pornography is a, a great plague that's having detrimental effects in the Lord's church today. And yet we have to consciously Strive to be pure in heart. And then Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, we need to be peacemakers. We need to emulate the life of Jesus Christ, who was called the Prince of Peace. The Bible says about Jesus when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now, folks, when we speak of peace, we're not talking about a spirit of compromising. We're not talking about saying, you know, as Jeremiah said in 6 and verse 14, saying peace where there is no peace. See, a lot of people today don't want to really stand up for the truth. They don't want to stand up for what's right because they don't want to cause any problems. They want peace just for the sake of peace. Realizing the end result of that is destruction. However, though, when it's possible in the sense of having peace as the sons of God, we need to strive to live peaceably with all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, 
live peaceably with all men. Romans 12 and verse 18. I can't control you, but I can control me. And if it's up to me, there's going to be peace. If it's up to me, there's not going to be any strife. And that's the attitude we need to possess. An attitude of having peace among one another. That's why the Bible says in Romans 14 and verse 19, Let us therefore pursue the things which make for peace, and the things whereby we may edify one another. But then I close today quickly by saying, uh, as the Jesus concluded there, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now again, there's no blessing on those who suffer because they've done things that are wrong. The Bible says that none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's affairs. But certainly suffering persecution for the cause of Christ is laudable. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God on this matter. 1 Peter 4 and verse 16. And persecution is going to happen. If we faithfully live for God, if we faithfully serve him, if we faithfully defend his word, we're going to be persecuted. And yet when we are persecuted, we need to take that with an attitude of meekness, We need to take that with an attitude of we are the kind of individuals that are willing to suffer and suffer immensely for the greatest cause on this earth. And we need to realize that those who are persecuted for righteousness sake will ultimately have the kingdom of heaven. And so today let's realize that man's happiness and that happiness defined by God, don't really equal one another. And yet, blessed, happy, fortunate is the man that serves God. I hope today that all of us can strive for this happiness. I hope all of us can have this kind of contentment as we endeavor each day to mold our lives in the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, that walk begins with the decision to obey the gospel. Perhaps even today, there's one here who's outside of Christ. Maybe you need to come and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can do that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're willing to repent of your sins and confess him as Lord, you can leave this building as a faithful New Testament Christian. This morning, the invitation is yours if you're subject